For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I want to know if you feel lucky. Not in the Dirty Harry sense, but more like James Bond or something. Because you're currently making a huge bet on the new economy, whether you want to or not. As we note in this week's Wednesday Wake Up Newsletter, the people who keep calling for a drastic redesign of our economy right in the middle of a pandemic recession don't just include those radicals who say capitalism never worked and we've got a way better plan called socialism. It also includes people who say actually alternative energy, clean jobs and so on represent a massive capitalist opportunity to invest and get rich fast. Except it's not capitalism as we understand that term, with efficient markets and canny investors seeking profits. It's more like, oh dear, socialism. Yahoo Finance just noted that, quote, the chief executive officers of eight Canadian pension funds, collectively representing about $1.6 trillion in assets under management, are calling for a green recovery from the COVID-19 economic slump, end quote. Now, you may say, doesn't get much more profit-seeking capitalist than that. But the thing is that every single one of those massive funds is a government agency gambling with other people's money. And by other people, I mean you. The agencies in question are AIMCO, BCI, Quebec's Case de Depot, CBP Investments, Hoop, OMERS, the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, and PSP Investments. Some of those you've heard of, and some you might not have. But every one of them is stuffed with public money and insulated by government guarantees from the cost of any failed investment in the magic green beans. They're not gambling the money of their supposed clients, that's the public sector workers whose pensions they're meant to pay. They're gambling yours as a taxpayer, even if you are also a government worker. Because those pensions overwhelmingly involve so-called defined benefit plans, which means if the returns on investment aren't there, governments are just going to raid general revenue to top them up. Governments are the real clients of these organizations. Governments appoint their boards that appoint the CEOs, governments set the mandates, and governments want those funds investing in trendy, woke things, including, of course, alternative energy. So, do you feel lucky? You shouldn't, because in the real world, the little ball keeps refusing to land in that green slot and give that big payoff. Even ultra-environmental British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has a finance minister, Rishi Sunak, who's warning him and anyone who listen that their economy's in trouble and this is no time to spend money on things that don't work, like electric cars, which are basically virtue-signaling toys for the rich. They have to be recharged too often, they don't have a good range, they have much higher environmental costs than they seem to, and as Bjorn Lomberg just pointed out, quote, 90% of electric car owners also have a fossil fuel-driven car they drive further, end quote. So the subsidies are going to the two-car wealthy. And it gets worse. Germany's energy vendor is unraveling as costs shoot up and performance shoots down. They're even lurching back toward coal. And so is France, which in one of those inexplicable green paradoxes, decided the way to fight fossil fuels was to switch off its virtually emissions-free nuclear reactors and then, and then, and then reboot the coal plants. If you want more of this kind of thing without having to look at my face, Click here and sign up for the newsletter. And another reason not to feel lucky is that Joe Biden just chose former Secretary of State John Kerry as his climate czar. I'm not even sure why anybody would want a czar. I don't think that system worked out very well last time. But the main thing here is, well, is it that Kerry is not a climate scientist? Strangely, nobody seems to mind what his qualifications are or what he knows, provided that he mouths all the fashionable cliches. But judging by his past utterances, Kerry is mind-bogglingly ignorant of science 
and even his cliches need work. In a speech in Jakarta, Indonesia, on February 16, 2014, he said, quote, Try and picture a very thin layer of gases, a quarter inch, half an inch, somewhere in that vicinity, way up there at the edge of the atmosphere. And for millions of years, literally millions of years, we know that layer has acted like a thermal blanket for the planet, trapping the sun's heat and warming the surface of the Earth to the ideal life-sustaining temperature, about 57 degrees Fahrenheit, which keeps life going, end quote. What? How does he think plants on the surface get CO2 if it's all way up there on the edge of space? Who told him the Earth's temperature's been constant for millions of years? Did the scientists say that? Did they forget to tell him about the Ice Age? And if it really has been 14 degrees centigrade all along, and if this unusually chilly temperature is the one that keeps life going, how does he think dinosaurs sweated their way through the Mesozoic or multi-celled organisms spread in the Cambrian? The thing is, he doesn't. He doesn't think about this stuff. He doesn't know enough to think about it. And we'd like to hear at least one climate alarmist say so. Say, great idea, wrong guy, on those grounds, instead of complaining that he's a warmonger or some such. Sorry, one more carry quotation before we move along. Asked by an interviewer recently, quote, what should the tragedy of COVID-19 teach us this Earth Day, end quote, he replied, quote, it's a tragically teachable moment. I don't say this in a partisan way, but the parallels are screaming at us, both positive and negative. Just think about it. This moment in life is inseparable from this moment on Earth, end quote. Wow, man. Now, if there's no telling what Kerry might say next, except that it's very unlikely to be scientifically plausible, there's also no telling what his boss will do, although a surprising number of people seem to hope that a President Biden will revive imperialism and use America's financial and moral muscle, and who knows what else, to force other stupid nations to go green whether they're dumb citizens and politicians want to or not, for instance, Australia and Britain and the Third World. As for China, as we say, who knows, will he sell a, send a green boat or won't he? Now, one person who thinks he knows is Warman Guru Bill McKibben, who wrote on election day that while most American elections are about the next four years, quote, this election may determine the flavor of the next four millennia, maybe the next 40. Ooh, talk about cosmic. You can predict the next 40,000 years of history? You know, my own view, based on that notorious pile of history degrees, is that the last person whose actions shaped the next 40,000 years of history, or rather prehistory, was the guy who invented fire, which I suppose the alarmists would say, boo, down with him, that unleashed carbon pollution on an unprecedented scale. McKibben then does a neat little dance of the alarmists, saying, quote, time is the one thing we've just about run out of in the climate fight, end quote, because, quote, Greenland is now in an irreversible process of melt, end quote, that we need to reverse. And can, because, quote, the one degree Celsius that we've already increased the planet's temperature has taken us into what is effectively a new geological era, one markedly less hospitable to human beings, but it still bears some resemblance to the world that our civilizations emerged from, end quote. But then he panics again, saying, quote, if we value those civilizations, then a vote for Joe Biden isn't really about the next four years. It's about the long march of time that stretches out ahead of us and about every creature and human being that will live in those misbegotten years, end quote. But why are they misbegotten with Joe Biden at the helm? Does John Kerry write your stuff? This makes no sense. In case you're now feeling terribly unlucky, we do have some good news. Back in October, the Arctic was freezing slowly, and alarmists were delighted, I, I mean appalled, at this long-postponed vindication of the repeated crystal ball warnings that the Arctic would soon be ice-free. 
But now, the ice has come roaring back, adding 3 million square kilometers in November, which is about 50% more growth than in an average November. And it confounds the models, whose authors now sort of admit they don't know why the models mostly get mo both polar regions wrong, although they have figured out that the models that are least inaccurate tend to be sort of right for the wrong reasons. Not very reassuring, actually, is it? On the other hand, courtesy of CO2 Science, we can report that a recent study of Holocene climate in the dry northwest of China suggests that if you want to model temperature, you should pay more attention to that big hot yellow thing in the sky than to a colorless, odorless trace pollution. And another study, also from CO2 Science, focusing on bell peppers, says that farmers struggle constantly with drought, and they wish there was something they could do to offset the resulting stress on plants. And it turns out there is give plants more CO2. So even if we're not feeling lucky about elevated atmospheric CO2, the plants are. If you're enjoying this look at the other side of the climate story, keep watching, keep sharing, subscribe to the email newsletter, and keep contributing. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and my bets are on you.